0: Tonight, so we're going to go back to the book of Nehemiah, so I invite you to turn to Nehemiah chapter 3. And throughout the book of Nehemiah, we're looking at this idea of the character of leadership. If you are a follower of, of God, then God has called you to be a leader for him, and leadership is, is influence. It's, it's the ability to influence others in a direction we feel is important and For the Lord, our job is to to influence others with the things of God. And in Nehemiah, we see a man who does just that, that he gives glory to God and he does things for God, but we also see very practically in his life some things about leadership. And so we've looked at the burden that Nehemiah has from the Lord to be a... um, to, be head up, to, to head up the project of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. We've seen the prayer of leadership in Nehemiah's life, and that prayer was a priority for him. And then um, last time we looked at the preparation of leadership and how when Nehemiah was given the opportunity to make a difference for the Lord, um, he was ready. He was ready to step up, to speak up on the things that, um, that he faced there or that, that, he, that was before him. And so we turn tonight to Nehemiah chapter 3. And let's just be honest. How many of you have read Nehemiah chapter 3 before and you know what, what's coming tonight? Anybody? Okay. So Nehemiah chapter 3 is one of these wonderful chapters in Scripture where it is a bunch of names. Okay. Um, how many of you, those are your favorite passages of Scripture? Uh, so let's, let's be honest. We get to a, we get to a chapter like Nehemiah. Uh, chapter 3, and, and I always think of um, in Chronicles, I think it's first Chronicles is like the first nine chapters um, is, is also like this it's just chocked full of names and, and if it's one of those things that like if you hit it in your daily Bible reading plan you probably slog through it as fast as you can you just kind of, okay we just got to get through this, we just got to make it through and try to try to get one of these pronunciations right along the way uh, chapters of names make us wonder if we've suddenly hit the appendix in the back of the Bible, right? Um, and if, if we're asked to read it out loud, like tonight, if I, if I asked you to read out loud some a portion of this chapter, some of us in this room might cower in fear knowing we've never pronounced these names correctly. And so please, don't judge me too hard here in a minute when I read all of this chapter, okay? Um, I remember... In our first youth group, um, probably about seven, six or seven years ago, um, we were studying, we were doing a study like this, kind of like this. And we actually were, we were looking at Nehemiah. And, uh, and, and I always tried to involve the teens in, in reading. And we got to Nehemiah chapter three. And I, I asked kids to read out loud. And the looks of panic you got when they, when they got to those verses. and I don't know how to say that word, those, those names uh, at all. Um, it it just—it was one of those things. that was—it was—you it was, know—you feel bad for him at the time, but it is quite humorous at the same time because we've all been there, and we're tempted to relegate long genealogies and records such as Nehemiah three as maybe perhaps filler information. In fact, there are those who have written great works on Nehemiah. I've run into them, and and they have—they do a great job giving. A lot of information about the book of Nehemiah, helping point us to Jesus Christ and helping us to understand how it fits in the context of Scripture. But you get to Nehemiah chapter 3, and they write very little, if, if anything at all, about Nehemiah chapter 3. But remember what Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 3, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable. And as my pastor growing up was fond of saying, all means all, that's all all means, and so there's nothing here that we can or we can count or we should count as extraneous. We must revisit tonight then the importance of his, the historical narrative. God has recorded and preserved these things here for our edification in him. It helps us understand more of his story and work. And I think one of the most interesting and, and probably um, crucial points of a chapter like Nehemiah chapter 3 is this. God knows and cares about each individual person. I mean, there are people in this chapter that you don't know anything about other than their names are written here that they helped rebuild the wall in Jerusalem. Imagine, I mean, just imagine that you learned your name was written in the Bible for everybody to, to know. And that, and it was preserved for thousands of years. I mean, this, this gives us a picture of a God Who cares? And so tonight we're going to look at this idea of organization of leadership in Nehemiah chapter 3. Let us read this record. The difficult names in all. and all. And no, okay, none of these names are on the short list that we're going to name our new child in May. Okay, probably not for Wayne and Amy either. And then let's step back and we'll consider the big picture that we glean from this passage. The details recorded here teach us much about how Nehemiah applied his God-given leadership abilities and wisdom, as well as communicate important things about the people involved in the work. And then we can take these things that we see here and we can apply them to our own lives today as we seek to do the work of God as a local church. So what we see in Nehemiah chapter 3 is this. God's work requires a unified, collaborative effort by God's people for his glory. That's what we see illustrated for here. So, we're going to read the text, and then we're going to make three major observations, or three major points, and make some observations out of that. Nehemiah chapter 3. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brethren, the priest, and built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and hung its doors. They built as far as the Tower of the Hundred and consecrated it, consecrated it then as far as the Tower of Hananel. Next to Eliashib, the men of Jericho built and next to them, Zachar, the son of Imri, built. Also, the sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Urijah the son of Kaz, made repairs. Next to them, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, the son of Meshezebel, made repairs. Next to them, Zadok, the son of Benah, made repairs. Next to them, the Tychoites made repairs, but their nobles did not put their shoulders to the work of their Lord. Moreover, Jehoiada, son of Paseah, and Meshulam, son of Besideah, repaired the old gate. They laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and bars, and next to them Melatiah, the Gibeonite, Jadon, the Maranathite, the men of Gibeon, and Mizpah repaired the residence of the governor of the region beyond the river. Next to him, Uziel, the son of Harhiah, one of the goldsmiths, made repairs. Also next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, made repairs. And they fortified Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. And next to them, Rephiah, the son of Hur, leader of half the district of Jerusalem, made repairs. Next to them, Jediah, the son of -um Haramphah, (laughs) "'Harumath made repairs in front of his house. "'And next to him, Hatush, the son of Hashabniah, made repairs. Malkilja, the son of Haram, and Hashub, the son of Pehath-Moab, "'repaired another section, as well as the tower of the ovens. "'And next to him was Shalom, the son of Halohesh, "'leader of half the district of Jerusalem. "'He and his daughters made repairs.' Hanun and the inhabitants of Zenoa repaired the valley gate, they built it, hung its doors with its bolts and bars, and repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the refuse gate. Malkilja, the son of Rechab, leader of the district of Beth-Hasarim, repaired the refuse gate, he built it and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. Shalun, the son of Kolhaza, leader of the district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate. He built it, covered it, hung its doors with its bolts and bars, and repaired the wall of the pool of Shelah by the king's garden as far as the stairs that go down from the city of David. After him, Nehemiah, the son of Azbuk, leader of half the district of Bethzur, made repairs as far as the place in front of the tombs of David to the man-made pool and as far as the house of the mighty. After him, the Levites, under Rahum, the son of Beni, made repairs. And next to him... "'Hashabiah, leader of half the district of Keilah, made repairs for his district. "'After him, their brethren, under Bevai, the son of Hinnadad, "'leader of the other half of the district of Keilah, made repairs. "'And next to him, Ezar, the son of Jeshua, the son of Mizpah, "'repaired another section in front of the ascent of the armory at the buttress. "'And after him, Baruch, the son of Zebai, carefully repaired the other section.' from the buttress to the door of the house of Eliashib, the high priest. After him, Merimoth, the son of Urijah the son of Kaz, repaired another section from the door of the house of Eliashib to the end of the house of Eliashib. After him, and after him, the priests, the men of the plain, made repairs. After him, Benjamin and Hashub made repairs opposite their house. And after them, Azariah, the son of Messiah, the son of Ananiah, made repairs by his house. After him, Benui, the son of Henadad, repaired another section from the house of Azariah to the buttress, even as far as the corner. Palal, the son of Uzai, made repairs opposite the buttress and on the tower which projects from the king's upper house that was by the court of the prism. After him, Padiah, son of Parash, made repairs. Moreover, the Nethanim, who dwelt in Ophel, made repairs as far as the place in front of the water gate toward the east and on the projecting tower. After them, the Tekoites repaired another section next to the great projecting tower as far as the wall of Ophel. Beyond the horse gate, the priests made repairs, each in front of his own house. After them, Zadok, the son of Immer, made repairs in front of his own house. After him, Shemaiah, the son of Shechaniah, the keeper of the east gate, made repairs. After him, Hananiah, the son of Shemaliah, and Hanan, the sixth son of Zalath, repaired another section. And after him, Meshulam, Son of Barakiah made repairs in front of his dwelling. After him, Malkilja, Malkilja, one of the goldsmiths, made repairs as far as the house of the Nethanim and of the merchants in front of the Mifpad, Mifkad gate, and as far as the upper room at the corner. And between the upper room at the corner, as far as the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and merchants made repairs. And so, there's a lot there, right? There's a lot of names. There's a lot of information. And there's a lot of really some logistical things here. And, you know, one of the things that we'll see here in just a minute is how organized this this whole work has been laid out. And so I have three places I want us to see some lessons tonight and some applications. The first one is this. Uh, let's, think, let's take a minute and think about some lessons from, our, from the leader, from Nehemiah, from the guy who's... Um, led this whole operation, who's come in, who's motivated the people, who who's burdened by the Lord to be in charge of this. And one of the things we see as we go through this this section is we see the organized sections uh, that that are laid out. Last time we saw Nehemiah's appeal to the people to do the work of rebuilding, and we talked about how he wisely and rightfully identified himself with the people that were there he was one of them, and he would lead this great work for the glory of God, and he encouraged the people. He talked about how God had put his hand on him and the things that God had done before the king, that they had given him permission to come and do this work. And as this chapter opens, we're greeted with a wonderful sight. Honestly, it'd be better if we could hear this chapter rather than read this chapter, right? I mean, if you can imagine with me, you, you close chapter 2, And as you open chapter 3, you're greeted with this auditory sensation. And what is that? It's the sound of hammers and chisels and people working, right? I mean, that's that's the picture we get as we open chapter 3. And as you read this chapter, you get a vision of how Nehemiah organized the people to do God's work. Nehemiah didn't just look at the people and say, Okay, y'all go get after it, and we'll get it done. He he was very wise in his approach, he was very methodical in his, repro- his approach, and the work that he does here seems to be mostly divided around the gates of the city. This would be an incredible undertaking for such a surely discouraged and despondent group of people. They had seen the work start and stall out, in fact the prophet Haggai had had come to them to help motivate them earlier to finish the work of the temple because they were were lax in doing the work that God had called them to do. And so they had experienced issues within their own group, and they had experienced work stoppages that we read about last time. And I think it would be really easy to become overwhelmed with everything you had to do. I mean, you ever looked at an enormous project and just been overwhelmed by everything you had to do to get it done? And it's very tempting, right, in, the, in a situation like that. So well, I'll just throw your hands up and say, I don't even know how I'm going to get this done. Nehemiah organized the work in an orderly fashion, he made it easier to manage. And this is one of the things we need to remember. Scripture is intensely practical as well as, as having spiritual ramifications on our lives. And, and lessons such as this, as, as just thinking about how organized Nehemiah was. Help us learn in our leadership of others. I like to think of it this way. As leaders for God, within a a church body or wherever you are, we can present the work that we have, that we need to get done, in a manageable way. Uh, Nehemiah's work for God deserved his best. And he gave the Lord his best efforts and applied God's wisdom to help organize the work. We, We can't argue that Nehemiah was an extremely gifted guy. God had given him the ability to think through these things and to work through how you're going to do this. And he gave his best to the Lord. He didn't just, you know, roll it out there and we'll just get it figured out as we go. He, he organized the people. And so when it comes to the lessons from Nehemiah, one, we see these organized sections. But two, we should know how close to home a lot of these people were. Nehemiah sought to fit people in the best areas where they could be most invested So think about this, the people who live within the city, many of them are reported here to be working opposite of their homes. Well, what's the big deal with that? Well, if you want people to be most invested in the work of the wall that's protecting their home, you probably want to do it right around where they live, right? Um, if, they, if they understand that that wall, that portion of the wall is going to pro- specifically be protecting their home, they're going to be very invested in what they're doing. They would also then not be building very far away from their home. So that saves time every day, right? Instead of having to travel across the city or over there, they, they get up and they go right to the work. If the enemy were to attack, and we'll look at that next time in, in chapter 4, They would want to stay and protect their homes and their families. You're less likely to have a deserter run off, you know, somebody run off if their homes are right there in the the work area. So Nehemiah, again, applied wisdom in his assignments of the work. Now, some worked in areas that weren't necessarily their homes, but near their place of service. Um, We can see the priests that are listed one of the biggest things that they did was repair the sheep gate where the, the sheep would be brought in for the sacrifices. Well, they're very invested in that, that ministry, that work. So what Nehemiah did is he made practical decisions to make the work easier and more efficient to accomplish. Do you realize in, in a body like this, like a, a local, wherever the local manifestation of the church is, the so Beaverton Baptist Church or whatever that local body of believers is, Um, God has gifted people in that body differently. I mean, you can look around in our church on any given day and see people who have different gifts and strengths and abilities in different areas. And and so I would just say this. You know, it's okay to be invested in a way, in a ministry, the way God has burdened you and gifted you. In fact, I encourage that. That if, if God has gifted you and given you the ability to serve in a certain way, then it's, it's great. Use those for the Lord. I, I would hasten to say also, by the way, um, that it's okay to be invested in a way that you're not as comfortable with as well. In fact, um, we're going to see that in just a minute um, in some of the ways that the, the people that were used as they worked on the wall. But it's also, I believe, incumbent upon leadership to help people find ways to serve God in ways that suits them best. As a pastor of this church, I've spoken to our deacons, um, and and we've had conversations about how we help, how do we help our people serve the Lord the best we can. And, and one of the things I like to, to say is, I want to help people find the way that they can serve the Lord the best. You know, that's something that, that they can do. Um, and and so, you know, that doesn't, doesn't mean I have any kind of special insight. I just, I love to work with people to help them find the ways that God has gifted them to minister within the body of Christ. Because we want to put people where they can do great and wonderful things for the Lord in a way that, that he's gifted them to do. Or even, and then beyond that, help people learn how they can serve the Lord, and maybe in a way they don't know they can do, um, right at, this, at that present time. So you have Nehemiah in, in, in the lessons from him, how he organized into sections, and he put them close to home, and then and lastly, we see that the honor that goes in the right place. Throughout this chapter, we read many names and groups. So if you take the names of the groups and the, and the individuals, there's over 40 names here. But there's one name we don't read. You know what name that is? Nehemiah. Now you say, no, wait a minute. There was a guy named Nehemiah in there. Yeah, that's a different Nehemiah. Um, but we don't read anything about Nehemiah. Nehemiah, this, the man who leads the project. God used Nehemiah in a great and mighty way to make a tremendous difference in the lives of his people and in his, in his promised land, you know, his, promised, or his special people, Israel. He used Nehemiah to help restore the glory of Jerusalem. But over and over again, what we see is Nehemiah is not in it for himself. He was so consumed with God's glory The focus of this whole chapter isn't on, yeah, this is what I did. This is how I made the project successful. The whole focus of this chapter is the people God used. Consider, in contrast, a man like Nebuchadnezzar. In the book of Daniel, we read about this king, Nebuchadnezzar, over the Babylonian Empire. God allowed him to do great things. In God's plan, though Nebuchadnezzar was a sinful man... He was blessed greatly with a great kingdom as part of God's plan, and he was very gifted and did a lot of uh, incredible things, and he accomplished, uh, you know, uh, overthrowing many, many people as he built this empire. But his view was much different. I'm sorry, in Daniel chapter 4 and verse 30, we read this, the king Nebuchadnezzar spoke saying, is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? a little bit of a different view, right? And, and this is after he had been testified to time and again by Daniel about the, the, who God is and what he's done. We would learn a great lesson about pride, or I'm sorry, Nebuchadnezzar would learn a great lesson about pride after he made that statement. And I'll let you go and look at Daniel chapter 4 later to, to see that story. But Nehemiah did God's work with God's help to God's glory. And the motivation of Nehemiah should be the motivation of us today when we do the work of God. God may use our incredible gifts and talents, but they are to be for his ultimate glory. There's a lot of ways God has gifted his servants, and there's been, I've seen a lot of amazing things done in, in churches throughout the years because God has gifted people in such amazing ways but the glory never goes to that person, it should go to God. where he's the one who gives those gifts for us to steward, to manage for his kingdom. And so, now let's look at some highlights from the people that are listed in this project. So you have lessons from Nehemiah, but we also have lessons from the people. And the first is this involvement of leadership. The work of any project for the Lord rises and falls heavily and depends heavily on On godly leadership. Leaders of Israel engaged in this work for the Lord. And we see that at the very beginning of this chapter. In Nehemiah chapter 3, the first person we meet, his name is Eliashib. What was Eliashib's role in the nation of Israel? He was the high priest. That is not just a title. That's not just a throwaway thing. That's a big deal. I mean, the high priest is the one who who leads the worship of the nation of Israel, who, by the way, are God's people. So the worship of God is an important thing. Eliashib worked with other priests on the wall. And they worked on the sheep gate, which we mentioned a few minutes ago was through which sheep for the sacrifices would be brought. And then... When they get done with their sections, did you notice what they did to those sections? It says they consecrated their section of building to the Lord. What they were doing is they were recognizing that this work was for the Lord. Think about what the priests are are tasked with doing from God day in and day out. They're tasked with leading worship of God. Um, Would you say... That of all the people in the history of Israel, uh, that the priests have one of, if not the most important job when it comes to things that God has given out to the nation of Israel. I mean, it's a it's a big deal, right? I mean, the offering the sacrifices the way they had to be offered, helping the people to do the things they were supposed to do, uh, taking care of the Day of Atonement. I mean, there's a lot that went into that. However, What you see here in the priests consecrating their work and being involved in that work is they recognize this. The work of God isn't limited to X, Y, and Z. It goes far beyond that. Um, it, 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 It involves many different pieces. They recognize that this was work for the Lord. God's work isn't limited to just one thing in one place at one time. There are many parts and places of service. The priests, who had this incredible charge from the Lord to lead the worship of the people, did not excuse themselves from this work. They pet, they pitched in and they got to it. They got involved in rebuilding the wall. We also see the groups of the Levites; those were the, those who would have served in the worship and the temple and those things. That they're mentioned elsewhere in this chapter. We also read of civil leaders involved in this project. In verses 9 and 12, leaders of the half-districts of Jerusalem. In verse 14, the leader of Beth-Hasarim, that was an area located south of Jerusalem. In verses 15 and 19, the leader of Mizpah, which is northwest of Jerusalem. In verse 16, the leader of half of beth Zur is mentioned, that's south of Jerusalem. We read of the leaders of Calah, Verses 17 and 18, Caleb is located southwest of Jerusalem as well. These all helped in the work. They set the example for others to follow. In any work of God, in any manifestation of the work of God, leadership sets the example for for all others in a project. So, very practically speaking, within a church, the pastor, the, 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 the leader of the church, and all those who are in leadership positions. Set the tone for the rest of the church to serve the Lord. Within your family, the father and the mother set the example for the rest of the household to serve the Lord. This is how God has set this up to work. That leadership sets the tone. And it must begin with the, with a main leader, but it also then must be picked up by others in those contexts as well. So you have the involvement of leadership. Secondly, you have the involvement of outsiders. You realize that not everyone listed here lives within Jerusalem. Now we just saw that with the previous list. There were some who were leaders of other places within the area who were invested in this work. They came to make sure the work got done. They realized that this work was an all-inclusive work. Because understand, again, the context of the nation. What is the all-important location that is in Jerusalem that all of Israel needs to be concerned with? What is there? It's the temple. That's that's paramount to your life as a, as a Jew. And so if you're a Jew, and these people were... The worship and glory of God centers on Jerusalem. So therefore, it required more than just those who live within its walls. It required others to come and to help. Third, not only do we see the involvement of leadership and outsiders, but the involvement of what I call the unusuals. Interestingly enough, as you go through this list, you don't ever read this, you know, and -and so-and-so, I'm not even going to try to make up a name that sounds like it would belong in this list, but and so-and-so, the carpenter, right? Or so-and-so, the civil engineer, or the the construction worker. You don't ever read that, right? Now surely, right, there were, we, we have to think, there had to be people there whose specialty was in that kind of trade. I mean, somebody somewhere is going to be involved in that, but never in this chapter do you read of anyone who, who does anything along that line. There are are those, though, that are mentioned who would not specialize in this? The first one we mentioned was the priests. They were tasked primarily with the worship duties of the nation, but they came to work. In verse 8, there's another couple of groups there. You have the goldsmiths and the perfumers. Um, and then in verses 31 and 32, you have the goldsmiths and the merchants. These goldsmiths and perfumers especially, uh, they did a lot of delicate work with their hands. Um, so construction work, um, this, this, you know, lugging these stones and, and this wood and this metal around, that really wasn't in their, their line of, of duty. Right? They, they weren't used to that kind of stuff. But they, they um, came and they put their effort in. They set aside what they would normally do. The merchants would travel far and wide to do their work of trading. So, so theoretically, what's going on is if you're not traveling you know, to trade, you're not making money. They came and gave their time to be a part of this great work. Here's the thing. Some things in life are just more important than whatever you and I have going at the moment. I mean, that's exactly what we see here. And, and these men gave up what they would normally do to come and, and jump in on this project. In verse 29, we meet this guy who's a guard. He was one who watched the East Gate, and he worked on that wall that was part of his own livelihood. In verse 12, we meet one other unusual group. In verse 12, we learn that there's a man named Shalom, and who did he work with on the wall? His daughters. Okay, and to our 21st century minds, maybe that doesn't seem like a big deal. I mean, I, I have a sister who owns her own home and does like stuff like this around her house all the time. You know, taking down, uh, repainting porches and walls and, you know, um, she does all kinds of this kind of stuff. We think, what's the big deal? Okay, you have to understand, this is our mindset in the 21st century United States. In this culture, uh, this is not what women did. Their work was in the home, right? They raised the children, and they they did the things around the the house there. I mean, they they didn't engage in such work. But here, in this project, these daughters were different. They pitched in for the work of the Lord. Uh, Probably some of you read that and say, yeah, I mean, my dad, that's exactly what I would have been doing, you know? We would have been out there working. And a project of this size and this scope needs many hands. And Nehemiah found a way to use and coordinate the efforts of many people. But of course, as with any work, not everybody's fans. What you see next is you see the inevitable rejectors. In any project, there are always those who are not happy. In verse 5, we meet a group called the Tekoites. Now, Tikoah is a portion of Israel. And if you've ever heard of it before, it's probably because you heard of this guy named Amos, who's a prophet. He was from the area of and We see the nobles, it says in verse 5 of that area, would not engage in the work. It was an area that was south of Jerusalem. And we don't know why. I mean, perhaps this group did not want to see Jerusalem rise again. I mean, we we don't honestly know why they, they didn't want to do it. But one thing is for sure, they found themselves in great contrast to everybody else on that project, didn't they? Because here's everybody else and all these other leaders going in and pitching in, but, but they don't want to do it. But we should note something. This did not deter the men of Tiqua. In fact, the men of Tiqua repaired more than one section of the wall of Jerusalem. But what we understand is this, that every work of God, every time there's, there's, there's a work of God going on, there are inevitably those who should be invested but they won't be so. Even the best churches or Christian organizations in the world are made up of what? We're made up of redeemed sinners. And so sometimes things that we want to do for the Lord don't go over perfectly with every person. That doesn't mean the work is bad. And, and it just means that we have to work through issues like this. And in contrast to these, then, there are some that go above and beyond. So you have, in everything, you have the inevitable rejectors, but you also have the incredible call-outs. The Tekoites we just mentioned, in verse 27, it's noted that they repaired two sections, and so did some others. In verse 11, Mal- Ma- Malkijah led the repair of another section. In verse 19, Ezer from Mizpah. In verse 21, Meramoth In verse 20, Benui. And in verse 30, Hananiah, all these are, are listed as those who engaged in multiple areas repairing the wall. And it, and it could be two things, right? It could be that the areas they engaged in, maybe they, they picked up on some areas that weren't as heavily damaged as others, and so they had time to move on to another section, or maybe they were really passionate, you know, and really worked quickly on these projects. But beside all of that, I want us to note one special name. Look in verse 20. In verse 20, we meet this guy. After him, Baruch, the son of Zabbi, carefully repaired the other section from the buttress to the door of the house of Eliashib, the high priest. There, that man, Baruch, is said to have carefully repaired his section. And we look at that and we think, well, I mean, what's the big deal? Well, you, when you look at the Hebrew, Behind that phrase, "carefully repaired," the idea means he zealously or earnestly did it, because, because the word that we have carefully, translate carefully, means "to burn," like burning with passion, to be um, zealous for something. And out of all of these names in this chapter, he is the only one who receives such a description. That's pretty high praise. In a work full of people engaged all over the place and out of their normal places of service, Baruch stands out. He had energy and was used of God in a great way. No doubt, you know, I just can imagine a guy like this is a guy who's just one of those guys who's a huge encouragement to be around. You ever ever been involved in a ministry or or a project for the Lord somewhere? And you you have people that you work with who are just an incredible encouragement to you every time. I mean, they're just always passionate, they're always excited, they always, uh, that's kind of just what I am, imagined this guy was like. So these are the standouts, I mean, these are the call-outs of, of this chapter. The work of God is important to God, and, and we can take things from these practical sections and we can apply them to our lives today. So lastly tonight, let's talk about this, we have, we have lessons from Nehemiah, we have lessons from the people, and now let's talk about some lessons for today. And the first one is this. I'll call it the comfort of teamwork. The work of Jerusalem's rebuild wasn't going to be the work of one man. Nehemiah could not go back to Jerusalem, could not go to Jerusalem for the first time in his life, and just make it happen. I mean, he's one dude, right? It would require the work of a team. I mean, not even a passionate guy like Baruch can make that happen by himself. And the same is true of our of our church, our local church today. You realize that in your local church, there are dozens of ways for you to be involved in the ministry. I mean, just ask your pastor. Okay. In fact, um, I thought it'd be really cool. I'm not going to take time to read through every single one of them. But a couple weeks ago, um, I was finishing up teaching our um, new membership class, our this is Beaverton Baptist class, and I made a list. Now. Inevitably, I, I'm, I'm sure there's something I didn't put on the list because you try to think through all these things, but I made a list of all the things I can think of and all the ways that people can serve in Beaverton Baptist Church, and this is the list I came up with. Okay, pretty long, isn't it? I mean, these are just, some of them are just very, very practical ways that we can serve the Lord in our local body. The ministry of any church cannot go forth properly without the teamwork of its members. But more than one man has noted how often churches resemble football games that take place in a large stadium. Okay, tomorrow night is the uh, national championship game for college football. And I was talking to a couple of you, you'll stay up tomorrow night and watch it. I'll probably try not to fall asleep on the couch tomorrow night watching it. And sometimes... Church work is a lot like the college football stadium. And what you have there is you have 80,000 plus people in a stadium in desperate need of exercise. And you have 22 men on the field in desperate need of a rest. And sometimes that's how church feels. There's about X amount of people shouldering almost all the work. And then you got some who just, you know, well, there's really nothing I want to do here. I don't really see the need to be involved. And that's not how it should be. Some are afraid to, to commit to the ministry of their local church. They're not willing to engage in a relationship that requires accountability, but also opens up the doors of ministry. And very simply, the avoidance, such avoidance of, of the church is, is unbiblical. We see it throughout Scripture. Your church needs you. And there's great comfort in this idea of, of teamwork. When you come to church here, or you come to be involved in your church and in your ministry, understand this, it doesn't all depend on you. That's what the teamwork side of it is for. I mean, even me as a, as a pastor, it doesn't all, this church doesn't rise or fall on me. I'm just a, a guy who happens to be able to be here to be used, hopefully, of the Lord in one way or another. You don't have to make everything in God's work happen. And we praise the Lord for that. And so there's great comfort in knowing you can be a part of the team that serves the Lord in in your local body. Second, there's a necessity of unity. The people in Jerusalem for these 52 days came in from different areas, from different backgrounds and their own local experiences. But they united together for the glory of God. In a church, we need the same goal god's glory and unification with others and so here's the thing no matter what church you're a part of no matter where you go things will not always going to be done the way you would do it okay it's just not going to happen you won't always be able to be with those in your areas of ministry you that you identify with the most or with you that you click with the most but if your goal is God's glory and his ministry, we can have unity in him. The world's motto is totally different than this. I love one author said it this way. So often the motto of the world is this. Oh say can you see what's in it for me? And if we're not careful, that can creep into our churches. We start to wonder, what can I get out of serving in the church? How, what is it that's in it for me? How can that make me feel? What can, I, what can I gain from this? But that is not the goal. We need to unite in the common goal of glorifying God and doing things for him. Third, this idea of personal concern. The people worked in areas of the wall where they had personal investment. In your local church, you have a personal stake and concern why because your local church is that entity which exists in wherever that is okay so for us beaverton michigan to share the light of the gospel with others in our community so that should be a personal a point of personal interest for you wherever god has brought you make that your passion for him make it uncommon for you to be absent from his work. And don't be content to go and to sit, but but to say, I'm going to go and make a difference for God in that place. God has given his children the privilege of making a difference. I like to say it this way. The work of the church should be personal, but not taken personally. Like just going back to what we said before, that if, if I don't always agree 100% of the time with everything about every decision that's made, we don't take it personally. We say, hey, we're here for the glory of God, we're gonna do these things for him. Not that we're not personally invested and that we wanna make a difference and, and we try to, to, to make that difference and speak out for those things. But realizing in the end, it's all about him. And lastly, what we see here is a potential for greatness. With God's help, even the smallest effort can make a great impact. When we offer our little to God, he can do great things. God delights in using the weak things of man to do great things for him. That is borne out time after time after time in the pages of Scripture. If you will give yourself to the Lord in his service, you'll be amazed at what he will do in And through you. But just remember like Nehemiah. Where the praise and the honor goes. To God. God's work requires a unified collaborative effort. By God's people. For his glory. Nehemiah was an extremely organized leader for the Lord. Our God is a God of organization. We see that from creation. On throughout the scriptures. And he's gifted some more than others in that area as well. But no matter what your gifts or your talents are, the preeminence of God in all things and the importance of all who are involved to the Lord are things that we need to keep in the front of our minds. As you come to this place to serve the Lord, remember that. One, that everyone who's involved in the work of the Lord is important. That starts with, and hopefully it starts as an encouragement to your heart hey, God sees and, and he knows. And it's important to him. But two, look around and say, God cares about all these people here as well, serving him. And two, we need to keep in mind the preeminence of God in everything we do. So how has the Lord gifted and called you to serve him? What is the next thing that he wants you to do in his service? God wants to use you for him. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how much experience you have. You can make a difference for God in one way or another. If that's something that you would like to talk more about, if that's something you say, hey, I'd I'd love to find a way to be plugged in and involved in doing the work of the Lord here, I'd love to talk to you about that. We can jump into God's service and see what he can do through you for his ultimate glory. Father, thank you for the opportunity we have to come to study your word tonight. We thank you for a great challenge from the work of Nehemiah, Lord, how you used all of these people to make an incredible difference for you, and how you can be pleased and honored and glorified by the things that we do in this place. Lord, we pray that you would burden our hearts, that you would... Help us to be personally involved in the work of the ministry. That we would make it a passion, not for us, but for you. And that you would use this place, Beaverton Baptist Church, to reach our community, to reach our neighbors, our friends, our relatives, with the message of the gospel, to disciple others, that we can be better servants and lights for you. In your name we pray, amen.